Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Divine Data. Today, I have Shannon Ewing here with us today. She is a blockchain humanitarian. How are you, Shannon? I'm awesome. Thank you for having me, Samantha. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Um, so we were talking a little bit earlier, we were catching up, and I want to hear more about this consulting that you've been doing lately and where you see the blockchain technology really taking off and what benefits it has for the community and global economy as a whole. Yeah, so I worked in the field for like 10 years on uh, international development projects. So I was trying to bring in freelance networks into developing economies and getting kids on computers in rural villages. And when I found the, the decentralized technology space, I got really excited about what these tools can mean for people in areas that need resources. So I spent, you know, the first couple of years in crypto just kind of feeling it out, doing a bunch of conferences and, and kind of doing the crypto nomadism. And now I'm really excited about finding ways that we can bring these worlds together. And I think the implications for blockchain technology and developing the economies are really exciting. And we're not quite there yet. You know, we need to kick the tires on the technology more. We need way more testing. We need way more people using it, you know, as everyone knows, we don't have the killer app yet. So with this small echo chamber that we have at the moment, it makes it hard to do, to do, you know, wide scale applications and testing and figure out where the pain points are. So I've been working with corporate executives and nonprofit organizations to get them adopting the technology, seeing what's next, starting to come up with their own solutions, um, you know, basically looking at it with fresh eyes. So how can we find ways that this technology is going to start really impacting the, the world at a, larger, at a larger level than what we have right now, which is a, a very tightly knit group of decentralists who are super excited about it. So basically, I'm just trying to, to build bigger megaphones and build bridges into new communities so that we can have more eyes and more, more experimentation. So for the people who don't really understand um, what blockchain technology would do for a community, what it would do for global empowerment and global mm -hmm. uh, more freedom, I would say, what, how would you explain that? Totally. So the way that I like to talk about it is in a couple of different example use cases. So one of my favorites is decentralized identity. So we all have, you know, our identities right now are tied to our nationality. So in the US, we have a driver's license and a social security card. In India, they have their voter registration that acts as their identity. And when you're a refugee or displaced, you don't have anyone to issue that to you anymore. You don't have an authority to say, you know, here's a passport or here's who this human is. So for displaced people, I get really excited about what happens when they have something called self-sovereign identity. And because blockchain technology is unhackable, we can use this as a foundation for people to start building identity around themselves. So, you know, proof of work, where, they, where they've been employed, proof of credentials as they go through different educational platforms. And that identity can follow them around the world rather than just being applicable in one nationality. So for refugees, that's huge. Um, things like cash transfers are really big. So remittances are 
I want to say it's in the trillions of dollars a year right now of people sending money around the world to places where they have family that aren't doing so well. And we just had, we just broke a record in the blockchain community last week where we had um, $1.1 billion worth of Bitcoin transferred and the fees on it were 70 cents. So in the traditional transfer industry, you can transfer up to a million dollars. It takes like $3,600 in fees and it takes three days to transfer. So what this is gonna do for people interacting with each other around the world is really big. What it's gonna do for people, again, who are displaced and now have digital money rather than the danger and you know, the safety concerns that comes with having like cash on them or a wallet that can be stolen are really big. So, you know, and then that's on top of like banking the unbanked and, you know, all of the, the, the terms that we hear more often in terms of, you know, people living in rural areas that really just have no access to financial services. So there's a whole bunch of cool things that are going to come out of this technology once we have a little bit more um, of a foundation underneath us. So I've been hearing buzz about the ba big banks also creating um, coins. How do you mm -hmm. feel about that? How do you feel about them creating that currency system? Well, the decentralist in me is not hugely excited about it, but there's a, a, a smart friend of ours named Ariel Jalali, who is out of LA and working on a couple of different projects. And he said it really beautifully. He said, right now we have hacker coin. So we have a bunch of little startups creating different tokens. Pretty soon we're going to see company coin. So JP Morgan has already developed their own enterprise, huge and like very private blockchain to do international transfers. Pretty soon after that, we're going to see government coin. So China right now is actually building their own Federal Reserve Bank issued uh, digital currency. And the U.S. may not be far behind. There were some bills in legislation around the bailout in the U.S. right now to do that through a digital dollar initiative. And after that, because those projects aren't going to be as nimble, we're going to start scaling back. We're going to see more company coin. And then, of course, startups will always be the most responsive and the most adaptive to people's needs. So we're basically going to scale through company coin, government coin, and then back down again. So I think it's inevitable. I think it'll help with mass adoption. And we just have to be really aware of, you know, what we're buying into and what privacy we might be giving up when we take part in those ecosystems. You know, it's super interesting, and I don't know if I should be admitting this aloud to everyone that um, I network with and know, but I still personally don't even have a wallet because I come from a very old school family when it comes to finances, and I am pulled between both worlds. But right now, what I see going on in, in our current state of affairs of the world is seeing right now it makes me want to shift my money um, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing this for everyone out there, but I'm also trying to take in some information myself because totally. it's um, something that I knew is inevitable and I think that it is the future, um, but I haven't jumped the gun yet. And I think that there's a lot of people out there who are like-minded with me, who are in the decentralized space, who want to be more so in the decentralized space and want to break free of it. But there are shackles that have been tied to us for a really long time in society. And it's scary, both it, the unknowns of it gets really scary. So, um, well, alternatively, I guess maybe, 
sorry. No, what were you going to say? Well, rather than, I mean, I think sometimes we can be kind of down on ourselves for not like being fully in and having all of the tokens and using them all the time. Um, you come from a developed economy that has a very robust financial system. Venmo is an amazing thing and it's pretty similar to how crypto functions. So in a lot of ways, you don't have the pain points that would require you to seek out these solutions, right? Like if you were living in Colombia or Venezuela and watching your money, you know, deflate every day or it, sorry, inflate all the time and, and lose its value, you would have more impetus to go into this kind of thing. But you don't really need it right now in the way that we're using it. Um, one of the things, again, I'm quoting another brilliant human, um, Andreas Antonopoulos talks about how we have a lot of people right now asking Bitcoin to help buy, you know, we want to buy a cup of coffee with it. Well, that's, that's thinking about the way that we used to use money in a new system that's going to be entirely different, right? Like money right now is in batches. I have one commodity and I have a batch of money and we trade for those things. But money is going to start happening in waves, you know, like when we have micropayments and we can tip the car in front of us on the highway to move over so that we can go faster. And, you know, like all of these micropayments that we're going to start issuing to, you know, artists for their songs, you know, so rather than just paying Spotify, we'll actually micro tip each of those artists. So I think it's easy for us to like be kind of hard on ourselves for not like transacting in Bitcoin every day, but you don't need it yet. Right. So, so yes, now is a great time because the hyperinflation that we're going to see next year is scary and it's a good time to just get out of something that's going to lose so much of its value so quickly. But, um, but, you know, especially in, in Europe, in the U S like we have very robust systems, so you haven't needed it. And, and it's really, it's, at that point it's philosophical rather than a practical use. So, you know, I don't know. Go easy on yourself is what I would say there. Totally. But it's, it's something that comes to my mind constantly, you know, and I, I wonder if is now the time is now the time is now the time has been the question for maybe three, four years for me um, when it really started to come into my awareness as like, this is what we're shifting into, but I still feel, yeah, that shift that's happening. So maybe that's why I haven't done it yet. Cause I'm like, I'll wait until it's like needed, but is mm -hmm. now, is now the time? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, well, a question that I'm getting quite often right now from my clients is like, okay, Shannon, if this is such a great thing, if crypto is such a big deal, why aren't we seeing the price of Bitcoin like going through the roof? Well, in a recession, cash is king. Everybody has moved out of their easily convertible positions. They've liquidated what they can. We've actually seen an increase in cash in the last couple of months, which is weird in a time of like contagion. You would think that people wouldn't want to be touching it. Um, so the price is a little bit lower. We're, de we're down from the beginning of the year. So without giving you investment advice, I would say now is a great time. And um, yeah, the next six months are going to be a really interesting ride. We are living in the most interesting times right now in all facets of existence. Um, and especially just seeing like <clears throat> another reason why I would say, and I, again, don't have any crypto. So who am I to talk? I'm a pro, but I'm seeing so much censorship and, um, you know, this like fight for data ownership happening right now um 
constantly and like the, the even the smallest accounts on like Instagram and Facebook are being censored and things are getting taken down and you're not allowed to post about um, apple cider vinegar being healthy for you mm -hmm. and so am I gonna soon find a day where they tell me well you can't use your money for that because it's um it doesn't go in line with what mainstream media wants you to think or what the government might want you to think or whatever it may be that's um stifling us right now a bit and making me feel like hold on yeah i need to maybe i want to own this stuff this is my stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> like I just did a big episode on privacy last week because this is such a big question right now. We're talking about immunity passports. We're talking about who can get on airplanes and who can travel and who can't. And I mean, I feel for our friends in China, but the conversations we're having in the US are like Chinese style right now. You know, it's shocking to me to think that someone can tell me whether or not I am allowed to move around. And and it's really important that we have this conversation, you know, like what you're hosting right now is really important on, on both a, a, a national scale in the US, but a global scale of like, what are we willing to put up with right now? Because as we saw in 9-11, most of the things that we put in that are temporary, you know, measures because of a crisis never go away. You know, like we are still taking our shoes off and waiting hours in line at TSA 20 years later. So it's important that you ask those questions because, you know, in China, they're using like thermal facial recognition to spot people with fevers and like pinpointing them on the sidewalk and hauling them in. And, you know, Europe just said, like, maybe we put privacy on hold during the, the health emergency. And I don't know if that stuff comes back again. So there's a couple of decentralized projects that are trying to do things like the self-sovereign ID for the immunity passports, which would mean that you would control your data and you would unlock it when you wanted, rather than having it be kind of leader dictated towards you or, you know, government dictated. But this is scary stuff. So, so yeah, I think, you know, right now, we vote with our dollars. And Brian Armstrong from Coinbase, which is the largest crypto exchange in the US, posted a, a graph the other day that was exactly $1,200 purchases of cryptocurrency. And they're at a huge spike after the stimulus money went out. So um, more of that. More of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm really feeling that this whole um, pandemic is bringing about the remembrance or understanding of self-sovereignty in general um, and becoming your own leader and taking back that power um, and remembering that like we are born with this free will to come together and try and make a difference in what's going on and if we have to adapt to these new rules then let's adapt to these new rules with our own solutions mm -hmm. instead um, and we're here. <laughs> we are in charge of the rules, you know, like there was so much that I think we just got to, used to taking for granted. Like it just is this way, you know, we couldn't have fluids or, you know, big liquids on airplanes until overnight we could have family size bottles of, you know, disinfectant and antibacterial gels, you know, we couldn't push different legislation around the FDA through until overnight they were pushing all these trials through, you know, like this is a reminder that there are people behind these rules. These are not set in stone. And we as a people get to decide what goes on with them. And 
we need to raise our voices. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big reasons why I started this whole series because I want people to come and, and voice their own you know, perception of leadership, whether it's them sharing their own experience um, as a stay-at-home mom and leading their family and leading themselves and being self-sovereign beings in that way, or um, it's you who've worked in like, the blockchain technology industry for years and you have been a leader yourself as being a keynote speaker at so many events and, and sharing this knowledge. Um, and it's really important that we're all finding our voices right now. Um, you know, there's not everyone is going to be able to, I'm not saying like, I'm not, no pressure. There's a lot of people who need to be resting, recuperating and reintegrating and re-understanding what's going on. There's a lot of people who don't have the opportunity to even rest during this. This is a lot of unrest for them. Um, but for the people who are feeling inspired and initiated and catalyzed to do it and be and activated to start speaking and really start taking back that power. I think it's super important that we start holding hands and doing that while also being self-sovereign people, we have to remember community and unity and this is a global thing. Like I keep seeing it as this kind of scary global Chinese dynasty. And I don't want that. Like, that's not what we want for the world. We don't, we can choose something different and maybe that will shift for even the countries that have suffered from that kind of censorship for years as well. Maybe mm. somehow through all of our change, I don't know, maybe I'm being naive, but I think it's all possible. And I think that we need to wake up to our actual potent, powerful potential to make a difference. Well, and the ethos, the, the vision that you just described perfectly embodies like what I really believe in about blockchain technology. You know, it is peer to peer. So you are in charge, but we are also together, right? Like it is a very bottom up kind of belief system. And um, my friend Max Borders introduced me to the philosopher Marshall McLuhan, who talks about how we shape our rules, but our rules shape us. And we shape our tools, but our tools shape us. I'm sure you've heard Max give this talk more than once as well. Um, but it really stuck with me because it, it speaks to what happens when we have these peer-to-peer -peer technologies that start changing the way that we think about who is our neighbor, right? Like if we have something where we are all individuals, yet we are all connected through a big decentralized community, it starts to shift us, you know? Like how much changed about what we think about communication after this technology came out? So if we start adopting technology that really allows us to take agency back, and you know, like when you were talking about how some people haven't had a chance to slow down, like we have friends and neighbors on the front lines who are delivering groceries, who are working in hospitals, who are doing things every day that put them at risk and give them absolutely no rest. So how can we, you know, both recognize how we are all interacting with one another here, have more appreciation for each other, and find ways that we become, you know, as you say, you know, self-sovereign and how we become the leadership, you know, that we can actually vote by putting these rules into place through the technology rather than having them dictated down to us. Because we're figuring this out, especially in the US, you know, the local leaders were much better at figuring out how to answer their problems than waiting for something from the federal authorities down, you know? So if we can have 
smaller groups speaking for their personal interests and their communities, then we all do better off. So you just Absolutely. gave a great description of peer-to-peer -peer technology. Yeah, and it's, it's the domino effect, you know, like monkey see, monkey do, however you want to say it. Like whenever um, I think of um, when I put something out on the internet, whether it's, you know, a piece of my writing or one of these episodes or whatever, it's like I put it out with the intention that if it just touches one person, that ripple effect, because that one person will then go tell their friend and then their friend and then their friend. And I think that's really how we can do this and how we can come together globally. Um, and obviously it's better with groups, but even if it's just one person, mm -hmm. it's making a difference. And um, asking good questions, which is what you're doing here. You know, like let's open up a dialogue because the worst thing that can happen is that, you know, we don't agree, but we've, we've thought about things differently. And the worst thing that can happen if you don't is that we don't talk about it and it just gets decided for us. Totally. And that's the stuff too, is if you just stay in the stagnancy and there's nobody voicing anything and not having any of those conversations, then yeah, you are, that's where like the sheeple come in from. Like, that's what people say, like, cause you're, you're, it's a choice. It's an active choice to, when you have the wits about you, the accessibility to the internet, all of the things to educate yourself, but you're choosing not to, that's a choice to stay um, in subservience of a system that you probably, you know, pump your fist up, you pump your fist in the air and say raw over, but let's do something. Let's, let's find the solutions. Let's have the conversations, find the solutions, and then actually implement the solutions. Um, and that sounds like what you're doing right now. And you're helping people, um, helping people, test these new technologies out so that you can help more people. And like, that is a huge ripple effect in and of itself. So thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you. You know, I think it just really has to do with like asking the question and, and saying, can there be a better way? You know, are there better ways to do this? And how can we hold each other in, in better ways? And the technology provides a big framework for us to do that. And you know, we all operate off the mirror neurons that you were just talking about. You know, we, we respond to the people in our environment. So if we have more people asking good questions, if we have more of us just saying, is this really the way that this has to be? Which I think the pandemic has given a lot of people the opportunity to ask themselves, do I have to commute two hours a day? Do I have to do this job? You know, do I have to be away from my family? You know, just more more introspection and more questioning the things that we just took for granted for a long time. Yeah, there's a, it's a big shift that's occurring. And um, yeah, it's also, I wanted to thank you for showing me a new light about blockchain technology. I didn't even mention this, but like blockchain for refugees wasn't something that came to my mind. Um, I always thought of blockchain as something was like, you had to like only wealthy people can access it, access it. And obviously mm. you're saying like the technologies are still so new and we're moving towards a space where it's going to be, but I'm really looking forward to um, the shift where people can see that it's not like gonna be this exclusive community. Um, yeah. And it really is for the globe. Um, it's huge. Venezuela has an, a crypto exchange that just um, released the ability to change, um, to do financial transactions via text message. So in a place that has daily power outages and doesn't even really have access to the internet, we're now finding ways that people can send each other money with, without any infrastructure. 
really. And the more that we can just boil it down, boil it down, make it really easy for people to interact with this, the better for everybody. Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you, Shannon. I feel like that's all the time we've got, but I had such a wonderful chat with you and I look forward to when we get to convene again at a beautiful conference somewhere awesome in this world. Yes, more meeting each other around the planet. And it's been really great talking to you. And thank you for hosting these conversations. You're talking to really brilliant people and continuing to just say, you know, like what's underneath this? Let's, let's continue to ask good questions. So thank you for the work you're doing.